Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. And uh, we, we bring a series to an end today, not because we feel we've exhausted this or because we feel God's moving on. No, we still believe God's calling us to a year of faith and stepping up beyond ourselves into who He's calling us to be. But we land here today because we just want to make sure that we are, we are moving forward in, in the preaching series where God is leading us. But I want to just remind us, in this series where we've been trying to teach you, we've been simply trying to remind ourselves that when we are people who walk around the same mountains and again and again, God is saying, that's not who I've created you to be. I've created you to be a people of future focus, a people of, of a future orientation where you're moving forward in God, not just being stuck in the same old, same old, carrying behind the same old mountain. We're saying we believe that what, the, what God has for us in our future is more glorious than what lies behind us. And we want to be pushing us to the people to take hold of that. So I've been encouraged in the series. I hope it's been good for you too. So this morning, we're going to land this in style. So why don't you stand to your feet? Hebrews chapter 12 is where we landed. Two verses of scripture this morning. If you are new and you don't know why we are standing, uh, it's because when we stand, we remind ourselves that we are participants in the Word of God, not just spectators. So we're going to read together. Push your heart and faith. This is a classic text of scripture this morning. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding His shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray this morning with such courage and faith in my heart. That we would violently oppose, that you would violently oppose our ability of just hearing and leaving the same. I pray, Father God, would you make our hearts soft now to be shaped for our future. I thank you, Father God. Would you disrupt our normal? Would you disrupt our comforts? Would you disrupt our status quo so that we can lay a hold of everything that you have laid a hold of us for? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat and just say hi to someone on the way down? Say hello, hello, hello. Nice to see you, Jason. How rude of me, I've introduced myself. If you don't know me, my name is Gabe. I am a pastor at Life Changes. More importantly, I'm the husband to Fiona and a beautiful baby uh, girl, Olivia, and the, the son-in-law to Cara. Just so I left you know, just in case you want to know, most importantly. But, uh, but it's a real privilege to be a part of this community, and uh, as I mentioned, I'm a dad, and uh, I don't like to boast often, but I feel I, I should today, because I'm being really good at this parenting day. Just I like to tell you often that I'm doing really, really well. Our baby is good, and I, I think it's largely to do with me. <laughs> He shut the door so he can't get back in. No, thank you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but sometimes there's moments where we, the Lord humbles you in dramatic fashion. And uh, we've got this routine. As I said, I'm a preacher. So our bedtime routine for Olivia before she goes to bed is, is, is bottle, bath, book, bed. They all start with B's. 
helpful. You know, I've got a scripture for each one of them as well. Um, but we do that just to get into the routine. The last bedtime, she's really good at this routine. And dad gets involved here, you know. So for me, the, the job is we get the bottle. I sit in the chair every, on, on the evening at around 6.43. And you can imagine the scene now. When you set your alarm for later today, you can be praying for me. And uh, let's get there with the bottle. And it's just like an incredible moment. Holding a little baby girl and she's drinking a bottle. But you use this moment of quietness. And your body is, is calm. So you use it to prepare for the bath. So you start like taking off her jersey, slipping off the pants. Get down to her nappy. So it's not going to be a, a fight just now when you... For the bath time. Any parents know this routine? No? Just me so far. Okay. But uh, this last Thursday, this was happening. And, uh, and and as it usually does, I get quite good at this. So she's just going to nap in there. I lift her up. And she comes in. And she's been running the bath. Just teamwork, to make, teamwork, teamwork makes the dream work. And, uh, and she comes in. And I, I usually lift up a little bit. And she's smiling, ready for the bath. And we take off the nappy. Just be careful. You don't know if there's something little parcel inside there. You've got to be careful. Use your nose. Just make sure that it's going to be an empty nappy. But open the nappy and she's been set free and ready to go bath time. Leap to moment. And that's, and we move on with the, the journey. And you know, it's just like, it's a beautiful moment. It's like a dad handing a, a daughter over to a mom, like, you know, Rafiki does a Simba. Everything the light touches is our people. Everything. And it's just this beautiful moment. I can hear the light, circle of life in the back of my head. This is beautiful. Partnering with what God's doing here. And you know, there's a warm, there's a warm and fuzzy feeling in my heart. Most days I do. On Thursday, unfortunately, the warm, fuzzy feeling became a warm feeling in my lap. As uh, this, 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 this beautiful scene just took a turn for the words, as Olivia felt, Frida! That means off, it's time to go. And uh, she just said, loose, and uh, uh, let me, let's just be crude, she weed all over my lap. Uh, this is what I know. These are different genes, just in case anyone's wanting to know. But uh, it was a beautiful moment, and, uh, and as... As one, as I am, I'm uh, not a placid gentleman most of the times, and I get quite excited, hard work, I'm quite, I'm planning to wear these jeans for the next two weeks, you know, as, as, as guys do. And I was like, come on, Olivia, go on, say more. And Fiona says the words that she, the three words she says to me, that just roll off her tongue whenever I get too worked up, too excited, too frustrated, too anxious. She said these three words to me, Gabe, get over it. <laughs> And little did she know, she was giving me the title for my sermon. So this morning, the third title of the sermon is Get Over It. So can you turn to the person next to you, roll your eyes, and go, Get Over It. Come on, Jason. Come on. Let me help us understand what I'm going with this morning, how I want to bring this plane into land of the series. Is that I believe too many of us live in the shadow of our mountain. We live in that reality of of just being underneath the, the overwhelming pressure of a mountain. What do I mean by mountain? Let me not use metaphoric language. Mountains of fear. Mountains of insecurity, of regret, of pressure, of shame, addiction, secret sins. We live under that shadow of that mountain for way too long. And, and this is what the, the way we partner with this mountain is the mountain of shame or regret or brokenness or a past or pressure looms large over us. We do one of three things often. We'll come under that mountain. We'll just submit to it and just let it crush us. Or often we'll just come alongside that mountain and we'll, we'll walk along a journey with it as if it's part of who we are. Just, just, you know, just, just to keep going and, but ignore it then hopefully it'll go away. Or most of us will just end up just walking around it and having moments say, I need to conquer this thing but not really knowing the power of how to. You see, what I'm trying to do this morning is I want to reappropriate, reappropriate the phrase, get over it. I'm not meaning in a demeaning way of just shrug it off. I'm meaning that we need to have a perspective shift. And that you and I need to learn that when we have no way out, it's time to go up. We need to get over it. 
We need to have a different viewpoint of how, what we are facing and what we are engaging with for us to walk in the life of faith. So this morning, very simply from this text, I want to give us three ways to develop a get-over-it faith, which will allow you and I to rise when our situation will have us sink. Everyone okay with that? This is going to be good this morning. It's been helpful for me this week, and I pray it will be helpful for you. Point number one out of this text is this. To get a get-over-it faith is number one, make your mind up. Make your mind up. Let me give you context of where we're reading this morning, Hebrews chapter 12. Is it starts with the word therefore, which means there's something that came before. You can't just pick up, therefore, oh, what, what did you mean before that? Before that therefore was 11 chapters of a Hebrew writer uh, who is writing to a group of Christians who have been scattered abroad. They're no longer their homeland. They're being persecuted, not, not persecuted to the point of death yet. But they're just not they're, not, they're not happy that they're there. So people's businesses are under pressure because they're Christians, Christ followers. People are turning business away. People are persecuting them where it really hurts. The financial, social, and their, their kids are not being treated fairly at school because they're under pressure. Because they're foreigners, they're under pressure and persecution. And these Hebrew Christian, Christians who receive the message of Christ with faith are now asking, as the mountain of their situation gets bigger and bigger, are asking the question, is it worth it? They're asking, is it worth it? And the writer of Hebrews has used, for the first 11 chapters, has used every trick in his armory, or every case study to get them to understand that Jesus is worth it. That he's better. He uses, if you go through, he uses all their Jewish history. Moses, he uses Melchizedek, a guy who most of us will go, Melchizedek, who? Just, he uses all these people that, that Jewish people would know to prove that Jesus is the greater. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than your philosophy. Jesus is better. And he reaches this pinnacle, chapter 11. If you go read it at home, it's like, they call it the hall of faith. Where he starts to name, like just Twitter, Twitter one-liners of just heroes of the faith who have overcome and, 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 and stood in the faith and names it that, just names, he's name-dropping, names that they'll know. Moses, Abraham, Noah, Joseph, he's just name-dropping their heroes, their patriarchs. Just say, they trusted God. And then he even says other guys who trusted God and yet still also died, didn't see the promise, but died for their faith in God. And that's this rousing thing. But then verse 40 of chapter 11, the one preceding where we read this morning, where the therefore comes, says, the great Hebrew writer leads and says, you think they're great? You think what God did with them great is great? Verse 40 says, but God had something better in mind for you and I. The context of Hebrews 11, not to rebel and look how amazing they are. It's saying, look how big that what they, look what they've done, but God has got more in front of us. He's not done with us yet. And then we get to this verse that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I love that phrase. And I just want to tell you this morning that we have to make our mind up. When he says, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, basically, in plain English, this is what he's saying. He's turning to the Hebrew people and saying, look at the line of faith that's gone before you. It's your turn now. He's saying it's your turn. I want to tell you, sir, man, with faith and with passion in my heart for this community in particular, I would love to stand in front of each of you and say, you go, I know what you're facing, there's big things going, pressure, persecution, tough financial things, marriage is hard, uh, battles with my kids, I've got a secret addictions that I really just can't get over, I want to look you in the face and say, it's your turn now. It's your turn, it's our turn. Let me tell you why. Because we are not just another blip fighting a small existence. We were chosen for now. We, we love that phrase. Theologians say, God chose me. Yes, it's great. God chose you though, 
in the spectrum of time, He chose that you would be born now. He didn't just choose me and go, okay, you'll sit there, you go there, scatter the rest. Oh, really? It's, what am I going to do with it? It's here in Rome. Uh, let's throw it in that era. No, 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 no. It wasn't random. He chose that gay Phillips will be born on the 2nd of June, 1988, for a reason. Our time of being alive is so important. Can I tell you why this is amazing? Because I've been with saying, God, when I was a, man, a young man who was struggling with the, in the grip of pornography addiction, I went, God, why don't you, why don't you make me born? Before the internet age, would have been so much better. Because then I would have had this pressure. I got a wife. No, it's not, it's not fair. I would have taken the living the mid 1950s because it wasn't it wasn't so easily accessible. You know, people say these days, kids have it so hard. Yes, they do. But I want to say, thank God that actually he looked at me and said, Gabe, I want you to thrive in that pressure. He could have put the apostle Paul now, but he didn't. He said, I want to put Gabe there. He says that with the pressures that they're going to face, I believe Gabe will thrive in that situation because it's his turn now. Let me tell you in this extreme understanding that you and I, I could beat this drum until I die and I will try as best I can, that Jesus knows who you and I are. He knows what he's put inside of us. He knows that therefore, since we are thrown by great, great cloud of witnesses, he knows the race that he's called us to run. He knows it. Let me tell you another one. All creation knows it. Romans 8 leaves and says, all creation waits and groans for Tim Burgess to be revealed. All creation waits and groans for Natalie Bresler to be revealed. The sons and daughters of God. All creation knows it. Let me tell you another one. Satan knows it. How do I know that? Because he's bringing trials and persecution along your path. He's trying to get you to come under, come alongside and walk around the same mountain so you can get distracted from what he's called you to. The only people who seem unconvinced about the fact are you and I. Yeah. Jesus knows, creation knows, Satan knows that sometimes we're the only people who need to be reminded. That's why we need the text to help us make our mind up. You see, this is a thing this morning. I believe too many people are getting cut short of their future because they've become prisoners to their feelings. Being cut short of our future because we become prisoners of our feelings. If I'm honest, I'm way too often ruled by my feelings, my thoughts. And with confidence, I love to challenge us that I believe in this series is pushing us away from the emotional roller coaster ride that most of us live on. What Katy Perry would call the hot and cold in your out, yes, and then you know existence. When it's feeling, when it's good, I'm going well. But when it's tough, I'm shrinking back. Actually, that's not who you and I were called to be. How tiring and exhausting to live like this, and I know that in my own heart. But you see, our, our, our society throws us us. We have phrases to validate this type of living. We say, my mind is racing. We say, my thoughts ran away with me. We say, I just have to speak my mind. We say things, I'm losing my mind. As if it's this flow that we just cannot control. We've just got our thoughts are racing. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm a prisoner to how I feel. I've got feeling up to it, so I'm going to restrain back. I just don't have energy anymore. I just don't have focus anymore. I don't have... We just have, we give away, give way too much authority to our feelings. And I want to remind us that our thought life is having a much bigger spiritual impact on us, whether you like it or not. Your thought life, whether you've ever thought about it or not, the irony of that phrase, whether you thought about it or not, is having a bigger spiritual impact than you think. How do I know this? Is that actually Jesus equates the word worry he says, when you worry about something, when you are anxious about something, he says, that is like meditation on it. 
If you, you, if you say, I'm not, I'm not into like Eastern mysticism, I'm not into like super spiritual stuff, do you worry? Then you are. You've signed up already because you're meditating on something. The negative, the potential fear, the failure. You're meditating on it. And this is Jesus' sermon about worry. You want to hear it? It's a big one. He's much more succinct than I am. He doesn't need three points, he needs one. He says, worry? He says, don't. Amen. <laughs> That's Jesus' sermon on worry. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. This is who he is, you know. And actually the reason Paul shifts the conversation on, and I, I want to help us this morning very quickly, is that I believe that you and I need to take our thoughts captive, as, as, as the book of uh, Corinthians tells us, 2 Corinthians 10 says, take your thoughts captive, Take your thoughts captive or they'll hold you hostage. That'll tweet. Take your thoughts captive or they will hold you hostage. There's no neutral ground here. You see, we, I think I too often say the things, maybe you say these words, I, I can't help the way I think. It's who I am. Sir, ma'am, I want to rip that, uh, that excuse out of your hands. You are not a victim or prisoner to the way you think. You're not a victim to the way you feel. You have more authority than you know. That's good. You see, our thoughts, if not led deliberately, will run away from us because nothing flourishes in neutral gear. Nothing does. Neutral gear will always end you up going backwards. God is calling us to move forward, and, and, and I want to encourage us that don't believe every thought that just comes into your head. Don't believe every thought that just pops in. Oh, no, 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 that must make sense. No, no, no. You see, actually, we've got to not just. Jesus says, don't worry, but actually the implication for us is we can't just live in neutral gear. We have to take our thoughts captive, and the scripture carries says, make it obedient to Christ. So Philippians 4 says it this way, it says, don't think on these things, it says, think on whatever is pure, noble, good, godly, righteous, think on these things. So what Paul is actually saying to us, the writer in Philippians is right saying to us, he's saying that we have the authority to think on purpose. He says, don't think like this, think like this. You and I are not prisoners to our thought life. We actually take our thought life and make them obedient to Christ. Let me give you an example. When I confess my addiction, I use this, and this is I won't do it for you, I promise. But, uh, but when I confess my addiction to pornography in my teenage years, confessed it dramatically in a dramatic sex, uh, setting, and I was like, and, and I'm like, I'm free! God, take this off me! And it, and it was an amazing, miraculous moment where God brought freedom in a moment. But I would be lying to you if I said that from that day forth, my mind was pure. No, no. From that moment, I had to now retrain my thoughts to think like God. Think Godly thoughts. But actually, you know what? 99% of guys think like this way and the other 1% of lies. We use these phrases. So we, as teenagers and older men, and I'm not this kind of woman, we just allow our thoughts, it's natural for my thought life to go this way. We actually God said, no, no, you get to choose, not just allow your thoughts to go, you get to take hold of them and put them on and make them obedient to Christ. Thinking on purpose. You see, the Bible uses words, train, renew, put on self-control. This is the authority you and I have over our minds. I want to encourage you in this thing, feed on the word of God. If you want to live a life of get over it faith and make your mind up, feed on the word of God. Because I can, I'll tell you, a man, if you want to be a man of faith, you cannot be a man or a woman of faith apart from being a man or woman of the word. Because faith is only faith when it's based on the word of God. Otherwise it's wishful thinking. Because it has to be based on something true and unchanging. I want to push us to the word of God because what you feed grows, 
And conversely, what you serve does. So take hold of our minds, take hold of our thought lives in this moment. Because I, I really want to push us in this, uh, this agenda. Because the script says, since we surround by a great cloud of witnesses, it's our time. It's therefore throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so entangles. So it's not just sinful things, there's two categories there. Things that hinder and the sin. So there's some things that are not quite sinful, but they aren't helpful. If they're not godly, we are people of purpose, we are people of faith, not just, you know, it's not sinful, so I'll just go along with it. No, 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 God says, actually, I'm calling you there, I believe more for you. I believe more for you. There's more for you. This is your turn, this is your agenda that you walk in. And I believe this is our story, that God has called us to make up our mind in the story. I want to land this point with this, this quick pad. A man named Rory Dow, who's a preacher friend of ours up in Pretoria, he has dad. Um, owns a, it uh, just passed away last year, but he, he owned Montrose in Harry Smith. Anyone who's ever made the journey from Durban to Joburg by car knows in the midway between is a massive garage complex with all your, your eateries and all your uh, restaurant facilities owned by Rory Dyer's dad. That was, that was how he made his money, this massive place called Montrose. And the story goes that actually, um, as he, this is how the, the family made money for years, and then the government came next to you, actually, we're going to redirect the highway around you, because we've got, we've got other plans to get, so we're going to bypass your garage. And he goes, see, that's my income gone. That's my future gone. And they, and, and they actually had no right to do that. They had no plan to do that. But then they, they found a loophole to actually, but your license is coming up for renewal. So if you, if you don't agree to it, then actually uh, your license, you don't have a license or a leg to stand on this thing. So everything, you can imagine the rest of what do I do? Do I, do I call, kick up a stir? What do I do? I'm so frustrated with this. How do, what do I do? They're bypassing me. So this man already dies dead. He got in his car from Harry Smith and he drove all the way to Pretoria, bypassed all the, the, the people who tried to strong harm to the decision, went to the, the, the right authority and supplied for a new license, which would stop this procedure. He applied for a license. They took one look at it and they said, denied. So he got in his car and drove all the way back. He got home, thought about it again, waited a couple of weeks, got in the car and drove all the way back up to Pretoria. Waited, waited a few got to the front, put his papers in, they looked at one again, denied. Three times he went back. Four times he went back. He went back 18 times. 18 times he went back to his family, refusing to give it, refusing that actually he knew that this is actually unright, and this is, this is not just, and this is actually what I, my inheritance, this is my future. I'm not giving up my future, my family's future, for somebody who just wants to bypass me, if I have anything to say about it. So he did not want to go to anything evil or negative, he went the right channel, but with perseverance. 18 times, on the 18th time they said, alright, Mr. Dyer, we'll change the plans, here's your license. I don't know about you, but I want to encourage us this morning that actually I think we are so dissuaded from the purpose of God. We're so dissuaded from what God has called us to, from inheritances, for our children, futures, for our family, futures, for our businesses. We're so dissuaded because we're prisoners of our thought life. Ah, it's too hard. It's too not easy enough. When actually God says, I want to put faith in you to make your mind up and get, get going again. Get going. Go one more time. Go one more time, sir. So first point on the get over it faith is make your mind up. Second point is lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up. You see, it says, run with endurance. I've underlined that word endurance. Because when anyone says you're going to need endurance for this, they mean in one thing. It ain't going to be easy. 
This is not going to be easy. And anyone here who is dating and trying to keep pure will say amen. Just ask Fiona. She could not keep her hands off me. I want to tell you, if you, you, you say, God, I want to honor you with our marriage. I want to be humble in it. It's not easy. Tough marriage, tough kid situation, finances are tight, dreams being shut down. I want to tell you, it's not going to be easy. Run with endurance. But let me say this, it's tough, but it's not impossible. The scripture doesn't say it's impossible. But then I love how the scriptures we read, it tells us in this moment, I've sat in many preachers where they said, throw off the sin, throw it off and run with endurance. And then they say, amen. And we leave all going, got to do it. And we're all going to fail and come back next week going, oh, why did I fall short? Why is it so hard? Because we don't get to this verse 2, which tells us how to do it. The writer of Hebrews says, throw it off. You've been called to a big story. Change your way of thinking. Get perseverance in your heart, run with endurance. And he says, how are we going to do it? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes from your situation. You see, this author who's writing this knows that we have wandering eyes. The author of Hebrews knows these, these Hebrew Christians so strong and got wandering eyes. They've seen persecution. They've seen the pits under pressure. They've seen the bad reports. They've seen potential fear in what's going on. They go, is it worth it? Eyes are wandering around. So he's taken a long time to say, lift your eyes, guys. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to Jesus. At, uh, at, at high school in Zimbabwe, we had a teacher, and uh, he, he had squint eyes, but really squint eyes. We actually, the rumor was that he could actually use him to see around walls. It was amazing. So, yeah, just like, hey boy, what you doing? How did he even see me? But just amazing. But uh, it was, uh, it was on record that he once came up to a boy, I don't know if it might be an old wives' tale, but he came up and said, he said, hey boy, look me in the eye. And the boy said, which one, sir? Which, um, yeah, shame. But a really good teacher, but uh, lovely thing. But actually, you know what? Actually, I think too many of us live with this, this dichotomy where we with one eye on this way, one eye on, this, on the, what God is calling us to. And we're living with this indecision. Too many of us are looking at our past. We're looking at others, comparing. The scripture says, run with endurance the race marked out for you. God's going to race marked out for you that's different from me. But too often we are tripping ourselves up because we're going, why is not God not doing what he's doing for that person? Why is it different or harder than for me? Because God says, no, stop comparing, look at me. Don't look at them, look at me. The disciples said, hey, what about him? What about John and him? What? No, 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 what about them? Peter, you follow me. Look at Jesus. You see, we're looking at our imperfections, looking at the negative reports. There was that advert years ago, you know, of the obsessed teenager who looks in the mirror at their pimple. And it's a tiny pimple, but in their mind, it's a lobster. Remember? That is, who, that is who I am. That's who we are. We look within ourselves and we gaze at the, the negative reports and the, the, the mountain becomes bigger and bigger. John Calvin, the great theologian, he said, when I look inside of myself for any length of time, I get very, very sick. Because no matter what Oprah says, it's not inside. It's not in you. Cremora, it's not inside. It's him. It's him. Look away from yourself. Look to Jesus in the story. Because I want to propose to you that where you look determines where you go. Where you look determines where you go. Maybe you're sitting here today saying, Gabe, I don't know where to go. I don't know what the future looks like. A few years ago, I was driving in the Midlands in Durban, just got my license, and I still hadn't caught on to the fact that I needed glasses. I needed glasses, but I couldn't see much. And it was late at night, the Midlands Mist had come over, and we were driving up this little windy pass in Durban, 
um, a couple of friends of ours, and, and, and as we were driving, uh, I was suddenly starting to freak out because I couldn't see further five meters in front of me. And I didn't know where we were going, and uh, we just were like, this is quite a nerve-wracking moment. You just drive, you can't see, you can't see. And after a while, whether it was right or wrong, my friend and I, we determined that we were going to, because we needed to get to this place, we said, what are we going to do is we're just going to watch the cat's eyes, stay on the cat's eyes in the middle of the road. And we got there with that right or wrong, maybe if a truck had come down, I wouldn't be telling the story a little bit differently. But, actually, the purpose of the story is when you can't see in front of you, when you don't know where you're going, look to what you know. Look to what you can see in front of you. So here's my, my thought from that tale there, is that faith is not seeing the future. Faith is believing, even when you can't see the future. Too many of us have been sucked into this thing. Faith, see what God will do. And tell you, most times faith looks like I don't know what to do, but I'm going to step out and trust Him and keep my eyes on Him. I'm going to keep my eyes on the cancer. I'm going to keep my eyes, even though it looks like it's hard. I, even though I don't know where it's coming, I'm going to just keep on being faithful by trusting Jesus with this thing. I'm going to keep on standing community, even though I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to keep going, even though I wish I could just have some time to myself. Actually, no, I'm going to stay together with people. I'm going to keep on my eyes on Him. This is the journey of faith. You see, often we say, and I believe this, that often the opposite of faith isn't actually fear. Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us that the opposite of faith often is sight. It's what we see. Because faith is not what you see. It's what's invisible. You see, too many of us are giving ourselves, leading our lives by what we see, the empty bank balance, so we're running on that pressure. What do you see? I see the pressure of the, the boss coming down, and I see the, the pressure of my kids not behaving well. What do you see, Samir? Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes in your situation. Because here's my great thesis, is the man Jesus himself. Jesus died not because he was obsessed with our sin. He died, as the scripture tells us, and he endured the cross for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross, not because he was going, look how terrible. He endured the cross because he says, look what I know what I can do. What I can achieve. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus, our example our hero, he went to the cross, the greatest death, with his eyes fixed on his father. I want to ask this question, which direction are you looking? Because he is still looking forward. No matter how big a mess your life feels right now, he is still looking forward with faith. You and I, let's lift our eyes to the one who sees differently. Thirdly and finally this morning, make your mind up, lift your eyes up, and thirdly, get your hopes up. You see, the scripture there is saying, lift, fix your eyes on Jesus. It says, the author and perfecter of our faith. Other translations say, the author and founder, the initiator and the perfecter, finisher, the completer of our faith. Let me tell you why this is profound for me this morning. Is when I see the word author... This is what it gives me courage. He started it in me. He began it. He began it. He found me. I did not find it. This is the truth of the gospel that we get to celebrate. That I did nothing to deserve his kindness. All I deserved was wrath and separation and death. And yet he found me. So man, he found you. He came after you. Secondly, it says, he, though he's not just the author, he's the finisher, the completer, perfecter of faith. He will finish what He started in you. He's the one who will bring it to completion. He is faithful. He's not somebody who starts and says, Good luck, I'll see you in heaven. Cheers, I'll meet you on the other side. No, He says, I'll bring to completion what I begin. But the most incredible thing for you and I this morning is that word in between. It says, and. He's the author 
end in perfect. So why I've circled that? Because that means if I can trust Him with my beginning and I can trust Him with the end, I can trust Him with everything in between. Every high and every low, that end indicates for me that He's got everything in between. Scripture tells us He works everything for the good of those who love Him. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 to 18, He says He's working even our troubles into glory. Even your persecution, even your trials, he's saying, well, I'm storing them up and producing a weight of glory and they'll never experience spoil of faith for you. He's using all things for the good of those who love him. Here's the amazing thing for you and I, is that a God who uses even death to become his greatest child is a God that can be trusted. If you want to, what is God, the greatest enemy, the last enemy, death, God took that on and said, that will become the cornerstone of my victory. I love it saying at a funeral the other day saying to people Paul the Apostle Paul's words that we're the only people in the world who get to mourn with hope every other religion mourns and with fear and anxiety what will happen we're people who mourn with hope we stand but we know he has won the greatest mountain death that can loom over you soon there I know they're tough and their moments are hard but even that mountain will not have the final say in in our victory there's a story in Scripture, i bring this to close, as Jesus is uh, walking in, in Luke chapter 7, and uh, as he's walking, and he's, a man named Jairus comes and says, please, would you come? Jesus, would you come see my daughter? She's dying. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm there, I'm coming, I'm coming. But all the way, and he gets delayed, a woman with issue of blood stops him, and they have this long discourse, and a, and a healing moment happens. And then, as they finish this, he starts moving on to Jairus' house, and the guy comes to me and says, Jesus, you delayed too long, no need to come, she's dead. You can imagine all hope gone. And Jesus says, I'll still come, thank you very much. They're probably like, oh, he likes funeral snacks then. Okay, cool, come. So Jesus comes and gets me. Jesus says, I'm actually going to take these disciples. I'm going in alone. I want to talk to the girl. Like, Why? He says, no, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they all start to laugh and laugh. Like, what? And, and they're going, how, how cruel of you? How can you say this? He says, no, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Jesus walks in with one word and says, little girl, get up. Little girl, get up. And this little girl gets up, gives her something to eat. He leaves there with a gobsmacked crowd going, what did he see that we didn't see? As I read that last evening, I just felt to remind us, sir, man, whatever you're going through, when you bring it to him, with your with faith, with that little bit of faith, when you bring it to Jesus, you've got authority to look at your situation, look at your marriage, look at your, your finance and say, it's not dead, it's just sleeping. It's ready to be reawakened. Maybe you're sitting here going, actually, I've got no more faith for my relationship. Or maybe my sins are so bad, I, I'm, I'm dead, I'm broken. Not dead, it's just sleeping. When, when he walks into a situation, he can bring dead things to life. I landed with this in 1066. A story we know well in our context. There's a man named, uh, a little bit of history for you. There was a man named William the Bastard. True name, you can Google it. William the Bastard, because the story was that he was born of, uh, out of wedlock and, and, and he had a lot of things alongside him that were negative. And William the Bastard and, and the, the, the army were under pressure and at the, in the, there was this massive hill on the plain of the, of the battlefield that, that, that day. And there was this massive battle team that played out and William the Bastard was called to lead the people to, to war and try and take up heavy days up the hill and they went after him. And as they were going up the hill, there was this massive battle scene. William the Bastard, the one leading the charge up the hill trying to get victory, trying to take this mountain down. And as they went up the hill, there was this amazing moment where suddenly the rumor spread out where they said, William is dead. William is dead. And all the people who were with William at the beginning 
fear gripped their hearts and, and they started to re- retreat down the hill. They're like, we can't do this. All the ground we take, we've lost our leader, we've lost it. Where do we turn at this moment? But dramatically, the story says, tells us that at that moment, William the Bastard whipped off his helmet because he was not dead, he was still alive. He whipped off his helmet so that people would know that he was alive. And he yelled out, I am not dead, I'm alive! And today, we will take this hill. And the people carried Sir back and the people as William the Bastard led them up the hill one more time. And that day, they did take the hill, they did take the victory. And that day, at the end of that day, William the Bastard historically was renamed and was never again referred to as William the Bastard. He was then called William the Conqueror. From that moment. Why is that a story you want to talk about here? I really believe that this series is pushing us away from living underneath our mountains. Pushing us away from coming alongside our mountains, tolerating our mountains, tolerating those things in our lives that are not what God has called us to do. And God is saying, actually, it's time to get over it. It's time to lift up, make up our minds, lift up your eyes, it's time to get your hopes up that actually God has greater things before us than what lies behind us. And God is actually renaming people here today. People who've settled for, for, for names of the past, divorced, of, of broken, of reject, of addict, of, of, of secret shame. Of things you carry, bad parents, whatever you carry that you name, God saying, I want to rename you, not because you have overcome, but because I have overcome. Jesus is the true and better William the Bastard, who became William the Conqueror, because Jesus on that hill, he climbed up a hill called Golgotha, and he climbed to the top, and he put a cross on it, and he overcame, and he said, it is finished, and he invited every single one of us not to live in the shadow of our mountains, but to get over it with new perspectives. So no matter what comes our way, we'll be able to keep our eyes on Him, to your faith, perfect our faith, and live lives. Let me land with this phrase. We can live in faith no matter the situation, because we have a Savior who has climbed the mountain and has 